So we're continuing this morning with our series on final events, and we've been looking at what the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy have to say about a little bit about what we're seeing, but what we can expect. Largely, people are asking questions in these lines and in these veins, and so we want to see what the Bible has to say so we can be informed in what's going on. And so we started with the title along the lines of what is the end-time prophetic catalyst, or the point of no return, if you will. And we saw how that was the Sunday law and how all of these things that we see happening all around us are moving that needle, pushing that needle closer and closer and closer, if you will, to the national Sunday law. And how I believe when the national Sunday law breaks, things will happen very, very quickly, even though there's still pieces to happen. I think those are going to happen in really rapid succession until Jesus comes. And we talked about the parable of the ten virgins and how all ten were asleep to the fact of when Jesus would come and knock on the door, that midnight cry, that loud cry. In fact, we looked at a lot of those different elements, even the abomination of desolation, all pointing to the National Sunday Law. On the second sermon, we talked more specifically about this abomination of desolation and what it is. And without getting into that topic all over again, we saw that there's an initial application of the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. There's also a second application of the union of church and state, and those dates there for that. But the end-time application of the abomination of desolation, we saw also, is pointing towards this National Sunday Law. And so today, in the third part, we're going to look at the four stages of this Sunday Law, as it were. And then we have other things that we have yet to cover And so even after today, you may still have some questions. Keep coming. We'll talk about the New World Order, the little time of trouble. We're touching on it barely today. Latter rain, the loud cry, which we've talked about, but we'll try and flesh that out a little bit more. The death decree, we're going to talk about that some today, but we'll flesh that out some more. Jacob's time of trouble, God's people delivered. That's the best news of all. And the second coming. Uh, Maybe that's the best news of all, but both of those really going hand in hand. And so for part three, I've entitled it the critical phase two of the National Sunday Law. And let's just pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray as we delve into these rather heady topics, if you will, that we won't get stuck in the weeds, but that you'll help us to understand that your Holy Spirit will impart wisdom and understanding to us for these last days we find ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 13, 12, and it says, And he, the beast from the earth, exercises all the authority of the first beast, the beast from the sea. And so we have the beast from the earth, which we know historically to be the United States, exercises all the authority of the first beast, which we know to be the papacy in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now again, I'm making some assumptions. We have plenty of of times where we have talked about and identified these beasts before, and if you don't understand that or don't see that, we'd love to have that study with you. But again, I'm making some assumptions here that you have studied some of these things already. But this is what causes us to really look at the political scene and see what do we see happening in the United States and with the papacy and these two coming together to form a national Sunday law. And so 
here, this is our current president. This, isn't, this picture wasn't taken when he was president. I don't believe he's met with the Pope since he's been inaugurated, to my understanding. But he's met the, the Pope several times before. And so I'm not necessarily picking on this president. We could go back a number of presidents, many, many, that have met with the Pope before. But you always hear, especially in Adventist circles, what the papacy is doing, what the United States is doing, the government, and how these two are coming together. Has anybody heard those types of things before? Of course. In agnosium, I'm sure. But we do know that according to Revelation 13, that there's, this union will take place and that they will set up an image to the beast. And that image, we know, will be honoring Sunday as Sabbath, which is not the biblical Sabbath. I also hear not only that it's our current president, but that our current president happens to be Catholic. And maybe there's a little bit of a buzz that you've heard about that. Only the second Catholic president that we've had in our history, which is rather something as well. I think there was a real fear there when you consider how our country was established to put somebody that claims Catholicism in that role. So first time in U.S. history do we have all three this time, a Catholic president a Catholic Speaker of the House, and a Catholic majority on the Supreme Court. We've never had those three before. In fact, if we were to circle the individuals that claim Catholicism on the Supreme Court, we have six out of the nine. That's an easy majority. And those are all of our largest branches of government, if you will. And so some are saying, hey, this looks like it's poised for something to happen I've heard others say, well, you know, a third of Biden's cabinet is also Catholic. And so here is the cabinet that he's at least hoping to have. I'm not sure that all of them have been confirmed or in the midst of that process. But here, if we circle those that claim, again, Catholicism, I don't know how involved or active they are. But there, again, you still have a good number of his cabinet that are Catholic, Steve Miles is the director of Bernardin Center of Catholic Theology Union in Chicago, and this was his tweet. He says, there has never been a more Catholic administration in U.S. history. And he goes on, what an opportunity to reset relationships between Catholicism and our politics to hashtag build back better. And so you might hear some of these things based on the scripture there in Revelation 13 that this is something that's just lining everything up. But I imagine we really should ask the question, does it so much matter? And you might say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Why wouldn't it matter? Well, I'm looking at Revelation 13, 14, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Notice this does not come from the top down, if you will. Yes, eventually it will, but ultimately it starts from the bottom up. Do you see that there, that they should make an image to the beast? That they are politicians and they and everything else? So it's really this upswell from the bottom. And so, you know, we may, time may go on, I don't know, And we may have different presidents of of different religious denominations and so on. But ultimately, I don't think it really matters who's president of the United States. I don't think it really matters. I mean, yes, some of these things are in place that could make it easier. I'll certainly give you that. But at the same time, sometimes I think we put so much focus on who and what and when and where. I think it's going to be a lot more like this 
COVID-19 pandemic that nobody really saw coming, and then there's this upswell that we need to do something, and regardless of who's in power, the end result is going to be the same. We want Sunday sacredness, and real quick, it'll all be about those issues. Let me say this. I do believe this, that God is not waiting and has not been waiting for a Catholic president. He hasn't been waiting for a Catholic Speaker of the House. He hasn't been waiting for a Catholic Supreme Court. Rather, what we talked about last time, he is waiting on his people to perfectly reproduce his character to the world. And while that sounds daunting, we must remember that it is his work in us. I think of this verse, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Our role is to let him do the work in us that he wants to do. I look at Hebrews 12 too. It's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so while it seems daunting and, and how can we achieve this, we keep looking unto Jesus and he will achieve it in us if we will let him do it. Does that make sense? All right. We also saw how we can find in Revelation 18, last time it says in verse 1, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice or we could say with a loud cry. We looked at that before already, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. This is the loud cry message. This is the Holy Spirit being poured out in latter rain power. And we talked about that already in our previous sermons. We talked about the midnight cry, the loud cry, the siege of Jerusalem or the abomination of desolation, all pointing to this national Sunday law. And so when we continue here in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, with this loud cry, it says, continuing in verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. That would be the seven last plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And if you recall, and I hope that you were here because we're building on these things, but we showed in last day events, 198, when do her sins reach unto heaven? Commentary from the spirit of prophecy, if you will, on these very verses. When do her sins reach unto heaven? When the law of God is finally made void by what? Legislation. National Sunday law. When Babylon sins will reach into heaven, the Sunday law is passed. But I want to look today at this idea that there will be stages to this Sunday law. I proposed four, whether it's four or five or three, you know, we could debate some of those things. I'm not trying to be hard-nosed on this, but the idea is there's stages of this implementation that I want us to be aware of and to look at. It says in Great Controversy 603, In defiance of the warnings which God has given, they will continue to trample upon one of the precepts of the Decalogue. That's the Ten Commandments. Until they are led to persecute those who hold it sacred. And so here we see that part of this loud cry message is pointing out that one of the precepts of the Decalogue, one of the ten, has been trampled on. And I think you can guess with me which of the ten it will be. 
The one that pertains to worship. Worship. Worship we see throughout Revelation in these key chapters. The fourth commandment. And we see that this will lead to eventually persecuting those who hold the Sabbath sacred. That's the National Sunday Law. Matthew 25. Again, you might remember that the sleeping church wakes up. And what wakes up the sleeping church being the ten virgins? It's that midnight cry, isn't it? And the wise virgins receive the outpoint of the latter rain to give the loud cry message. And what's that message? Jesus is at the door. It's time to wake up. Great Controversy, page 605. Heretofore, those who presented the truths of the third angel's message have often been regarded as mere alarmists. You bunch of mere alarmists, what are you doing? Today, she might say, as conspiracy theorists. Are there some conspiracies out there? You better believe there are. Is there truth out there? I tell you, it's really hard to find it. Where do you look? Who do you trust? And people are becoming polarized. Well, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're an alarmist. And some of those things I'm sure are conspiracies, but some of those conspiracies probably are true. And to know which ones can be pretty difficult. Right? And if we're not careful of Seventh-day Adventists, we can go down that road and this road and the other road and chase after things. And make comments about things that are really far from the center of what God wants us to be about as a people. Is it true? But at the same time, there is something that is true, that is in God's word, that is in the spirit of prophecy, that people will say, well, you're just an alarmist. You're a conspiracy theorist. To which we have to be able to say, well, I'm going to stand on God's word. Say what you want. But there will be those preaching the three angels' message that are often regarded as alarmists, continuing on their predictions that religious intolerance would gain control in the United States, that church and state would unite to persecute those who keep the commandments of God have been pronounced groundless and absurd. Have you heard that before? It has been confidently declared that this land could never become other than what it has been, the defender of religious freedom. There's legislation even now that's talking about, you know, freedom for all. It's really, if you look at the wording of it, we, the religious liberty team was talking about it just this week to all the pastors. It's not religious freedom for all. What's the name of the act I'm, I'm referring to? Somebody help me. Equality Act. Because it sounds like everyone's going to be equal. And that sounds like a good thing, right? We want equality for everyone. And while we don't know exactly how they might tweak the wording and where this might go, within the DNA of the Equality Act, the fear is, in a lot of the wording that's been there, unless they take it out, is that it's not equality for all. It's equality for certain persecuted groups, largely LGBT and transgender groups, to the extent of you can have your religious freedom as long as you don't, quote, persecute these groups. So what do you do then as a Christian organization when that contradicts what God's word has to say? 
So it's been confidently declared this land could never become other than what it has been, the defender of religious freedom. But as the questions of enforcing Sunday observance is widely agitated, the event so long doubted and disbelieved is seen to be approaching. And the third message will produce an effect which it could not have had before. So Seventh-day Adventist, how many times have you heard people doubt this idea of a national Sunday law? Most often, it's in circles with other Adventists. In fact, I've heard pastors even, Seventh-day Adventist pastors, scoff at the idea of how absurd this truly is, how this is laughable, how this will never happen. Our country was founded on religious freedom. And they just say, you believe what? But friends, things are changing, if you haven't noticed. I know this gave people pause back in 2015, where there was a joint session of Congress, where the room is packed, and the Pope addresses them. But before he does, for two minutes, I timed it this week, because you can still find it, he comes in, he's introduced, and they clap for about a minute and a half, and he's introduced again, so they clap for another 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so. So for about two minutes, standing on their feet, Everyone is just applauding. That should give us pause. First in our nation's history. But friends, the Sunday law, we're told, will empower the church and produce an effect that it could not have had before. This is the loud cry, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the midnight cry that wakens up the sleeping church. Elizabeth and I, Started studying just a few weeks ago with our neighbor. We've met twice now, and she really knows her Bible quite well. And so we're studying there in our living room, and the first time we got together, we spent probably an hour and a half, maybe almost two hours just talking back and forth about different things. And before it was all done, I did something that I don't recall that I've done. Maybe I have, but I can't think of one in recent time. I turned straight to Revelation 14, the three angels' message. And I went down through the three angels' messages with her. And she says, wow. And then I said, and I can't wait. I said, there's a lot of things we could study, but I can't wait to get to Revelation chapter 13. And I told her about the beast from the sea being the papacy and the beast from the earth being the United States. I said, I'll I'll show it all to you later. But then I showed how there'd be forced worship and all the rest. And do you know what she said at the end of it? She said, my goodness. In fact, her actual words were, wow. She says, that makes more sense to me than anything I've ever heard before. And she left. And Elizabeth and I are talking. And I said, this is so bizarre, the idea that we're able to just jump straight into some of these issues. And as we're talking, why are we able to do this? It's because of the events around us that are happening that are giving people pause to what's going on and give further validity to God's word that said it all along. And so again, I think this national Sunday law will be a catalyst for the final events, but it'll also be a catalyst for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have not yet witnessed. And what a joy and a privilege and how exciting it will be to be part of it. To give this loud cry message that has been so long doubted and disbelieved and scoffed, even within this own denomination, but will produce an effect that it could not have done before. And so, these four phases of the National Sunday Law. Let's put the first one up here. Phase one, 
Sunday enforced as a day of rest. There will be encouragement to refrain from work on Sunday. It will be a time when shops will be closed. That'll never happen in this... Co- oh, wait. Maybe it already has. <laughs> and so, this will be an opportunity for God's people to engage in missionary labor. Let's just unpack this phase one a little bit further. First, we must refrain from work on Sunday. It will be a day of rest that will be encouraged. And Adventists are to engage in missionary labor on that day. Here is a website. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe not. But I just want to touch on it today. But it's called the Green Sabbath Project, if you can see it up there in the top middle. And I just took a screenshot, and you can't really see the website. But it's greensabbathproject.net, I believe. You can find it there. And this is just their front page. It says, is there nothing you can do about the environment? Nothing may be one of the best things you can do. One day every week, do nothing. And then it says down there in smaller letters, take a weekly day of rest. Make it a real Sabbath for you, for earth. Don't drive, don't shop, don't build. Take a walk, eat with friends, play or read with your kids, sing, meditate. Now don't misunderstand This is not, I believe, stage one of the Sunday law. It's not. But what I'm saying is these ideas are gaining steam. And this is not even with a religious purpose. This is with the environment in mind. And never mind the fact that COVID has shown us how beneficial it would be if the whole earth just took rest once a week. So are things being put in place for this to happen quickly? I think that they are. And so maybe on this dial, that's the the needle, if you will, that's getting closer and closer to the National Sunday Law, maybe we should put Green Sabbath Project in there. I don't know. You could put it anywhere in there. Those don't necessarily have an order, but they're all pushing the needle closer. This has been around. This isn't new. This is June 2015. Encyclical, the planet is at a breaking point, says Pope Francis. I just grabbed this from an old presentation. I'm sure he said something more recently that we could put in here. This is also from 2014, I think. Pope says no work Sundays would be good, not just for faithful. I mean, it's just kind of a theme that we're hearing more and more, is it not? So I think we need to be paying attention. Things we've always said as Seventh-day Adventists, I think we see, are going to happen. And this Green Sabbath Project, these secularists, these environmentalists, are yet another idea But it's also the papacy and evangelical Christians that are agitating this idea. I'm going to look at what Ellen White says in Volume 9, The Testimonies, 232. And it's a letter she wrote. And she says, Dear brother, I will try to answer your questions as to what you should do in the case of Sunday laws being enforced. Oh, good. Can we listen in? The light given me by the Lord at a time when we were expecting just such a crisis as you seem to be approaching was that when the people were moved by a power from beneath to enforce Sunday observance, Seventh-day Adventists were to show their wisdom by refraining from their ordinary work on that day, devoting it to missionary effort. So in other words, don't make it a point of contention to stop your business work on Sunday And that's the key point. She says, just go ahead and stop. We can do mission work. No problem. That'll be a good opportunity for us. She continues on. It says, to defy Sunday laws will 
but strengthen in their persecution the religious zealots who are seeking to enforce them. Give them no occasion to call you lawbreakers. If they are left to reign up men who fear neither God nor man, the reigning up will soon lose its novelty for them, and they will see that it is not consistent nor convenient for them to be strict in regard to the observance of Sunday." And we continue on, keep right on with your missionary work, with your Bibles in your hands, and the enemy will see that he has worsted his own cause. One does not receive the mark of the beast because he shows that he realizes the wisdom of keeping the peace by refraining from work that gives offense, doing at the same time a work of the highest importance. And so refraining from work, refraining from business, from your typical go-to-work, clock-in, or whatever it is, refraining from that on Sunday, she says very plainly here, is not receiving the mark of the beast. She says, fine, no problem. If they want to close our business on Sunday, we can close our business on Sunday. What will constitute the mark of the beast, though, which we're getting to, is going along with compelled worship on a day prescribed, and we'll get to that. But refraining to work, it's an opportunity to do door-to-door evangelism or mission work or what have you. Continuing, it says, Sunday can be used for carrying forward various lines of work that will accomplish much for the Lord on this day. Open-air meetings and cottage meetings can be held. House-to-house work can be done. Those who write can devote this day to writing their articles. Whenever is possible, let religious services be held on Sunday. Make these meetings intensely interesting. This often confuses people, and so that's why I wanted to put it in here, because it sounds like, maybe to some, and they they might even use it at that time, see, we should have our worship services on Sunday. It doesn't make a difference. That's not what she's saying. If you read this in its context, which we more or less have been doing, she says, let's do outreach work. And so we can open up our churches even on Sunday, and we do that. We have evangelistic meetings that we're open almost every night of the week. She says, go ahead and have your services. Have people come in. Teach them things. Have your Daniel fast. Go door to door. Get involved. This is the time, she's saying. Go get them. But it's a far cry from when they say, now you have to worship on Sunday, saying, okay, we'll just lay down and and do that. That's not what she's saying. And that's why I wanted to include it here. It says, sing genuine revival hymns and speak with power and assurance of the Savior's love. Speak on temperance and on true religious experience. You will thus learn much about how to work and will reach many souls. So in phase one, We can have religious services, we can sing hymns, we can speak on temperance, we can have our Daniel fasts, but the key is that phase one is not mandating worship on Sunday. In phase one, it's just mandating no work on Sunday. Do you see the difference? And so our businesses have to be closed and so on. Great Controversy 6.12 says, Servants of God with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place proclaiming the message from heaven. And we can do this anytime. But when our businesses are all closed, her advice for God's people is go to place, to place, to place. I find it interesting. Now when she's writing this, there is no email, there are no text messages, all of those things. There's no social media, all of that. But I wonder if God led her to write it this way because there's a time when the internet will not be a place that we can share 
these things. Maybe there's a time we won't be able to send these Bible studies linked to emails. Maybe there's a time we won't be able to send them to to websites because they'll be shut down. Maybe there's a time when social media platforms... Does this sound at all familiar to what we're experiencing in part today? Could it be that our message at some point will be censored and taken down? This is a screenshot I took. One of you sent me a video that I was going to watch. And when I clicked to watch it, this is what I read. This video has been removed for violating YouTube's terms of service. They may as well have just said, too bad. You're not getting it here. Maybe that same thing has happened to you a time or two. Right now, it's all about the vaccine. And again, I don't want to get into the this and that and the back and forth with the vaccine. That's not my intent this morning. If it was here in God's Word, then I'd be fine talking about it. But what does really bother me is the idea that if you don't fit into a certain narrative, we just take you down. You're canceled. Deplatformed. We'll take it off. And for a long time, social media has said in all of these big court cases and all the rest, the idea has been we are not responsible for the content. We're just the one that passes it along. We're the vehicle, if you will. And so they've been able to just kind of distance themselves from all kinds of things until now. And now they're starting to say, well, I guess maybe we are a little bit responsible. And so now they're starting to censor and pull things down. And so if somebody is trying to say something about the vaccine that they think is dangerous, gone. I mean, this nation was founded on freedom of speech. The problem is it's not the government that's in charge of freedom of speech anymore. Practically, it's all of these big tech companies. So again, and I've gotten accused already that, oh, Pastor Wright is too political. I don't care if you're Republican, if you're Democrat, neither one is going to save you. You're only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the promises of his word. I'm only concerned with what's happening out there and how it will impact what we hear right here. Whether you get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine, you figure it out. The challenge with that is figuring it out. Where do I find the truth? Who do I listen to? And so we already have this petri dish, if you will, of this idea of something controversial, and you're looking and searching for truth, and you're wondering where to find it. Friends, when it comes to the national Sunday law, it will be the same, except right here, and we will be the ones saying, I can tell you the truth. I can tell have you read the great controversy? Turn to these pages. Tell me if it doesn't ring true for you. And if you don't have a great controversy in your trunk, you should get one now because at some point it's going to be deplatformed. It's going to be hate speech. It's going to be taken down. And so if you don't have what you need at that moment, it's too late. Too late. I heard a story just this week, another sermon I was listening to, and this individual handed out a great controversy to an individual, and they saw them again in town, I don't know, six, eight months later, and they said, you know, I remember you're the one that gave me that great controversy, I haven't read it yet, it's on the shelf, but I'm going to read it. And then he came back another six, eight months later to the same business, same thing, you know, it's still there on the shelf, but I'm going to read it. And I think about when the time comes and things are censored and canceled and deplatformed. But you know what? I have that book and it's on my shelf. I think I might read it. So when is the time to get the book out? Oh, I thought we could wait till the very end. Now! <laughs> I better get back on topic. 
where were we? When we devote Sunday to missionary work, the whip will be taken out of the hands of the arbitrary zealots who would be well pleased to humiliate Seventh-day Adventists when they see that we employ ourselves on Sunday in visiting the people and opening the scriptures to them. They will know that it is useless for them to try to hinder our work by making Sunday laws. And then she says, make no demonstration on Sunday in defiance of law. I thought that was interesting too because there's a lot of defiance and, and demonstrations going on today. That's kind of the vogue thing to do. And she says, don't do that. Don't make a big stink, if you will. Don't protest. Don't picket. See the writing on the wall and go to your neighbor and have a Bible study. That's where you need to invest your energy. Amen. Preach the three angels' message. Oh, there's a little bit more there. We can use Sundays as a day in which we carry forward work that will tell on the side of Christ. We are to do our best working with all meekness and lowliness. And so, phase one of the Sunday law must refrain from work on Sunday. It's a day of rest and that's encouraged, and Adventists are to engage in mission labor to warn the world what soon is about to come. But I think things will escalate very quickly. And so I don't think we'll stay in phase one very long. And so the second phase here is forced to honor Sunday. And this ratchets things up considerably. In fact, this is what I titled my sermon after because I don't want you to miss phase two. Because here's where it gets very important. In phase two, we have a law to honor and worship on Sunday. And we can still observe the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath. But social pressure is increasing. We enter into the little time of trouble, the mark of the beast crisis, and many seventh day Adventists compromise. So what's the key difference between phase one and phase two, which is what I'm choosing to call them? In phase two, we are forced to honor Sunday. And how do you honor that day? By worshiping on Sunday. So if you go to church on Sunday today, it's not the mark of the beast. It's not enforced by law. You're not showing allegiance to that day now. But when that law is passed, And when you go and bow down, if you will, on Sunday, so this isn't just refraining from work, and granted, you can still worship on the seventh day, you can still come here, we can still have services on Sabbath, but the government's telling us, no, but Sunday's the day. You will be in church on Sunday. And so the social pressure will increase, and they will start enforcing this idea. And this is the beginning of the little time of trouble or the mark of the beast crisis where if you worship on that day, you are, don't miss this, you are receiving the mark of the beast either in your forehead or in your hand. And some of you, I imagine, are here saying, now wait a minute, I thought we could wait until they forbid Sabbath worship, that I could do both. Nope. Friends, where has God ever called us to lukewarm Christianity? Where does God say, you can serve God and man? In fact, my Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And the last bullet point there, many Seventh-day Adventists will compromise. Even though it hasn't reached the point of fines and imprisonment or buying and selling or even the death decree, but many will compromise with the pressure. Because what's the big deal? 
I can go to church on Sunday. I have a lot of good friends. They go to church on Sunday. Everything is fine. I don't, I don't see what the deal is. And so they go along with this forced worship to the beast. Why? Well, they want to avoid being shunned, the inconvenience. They don't want to be canceled or deplatformed. And so they are showing allegiance to that day. I can't help but think of the three Hebrews in Daniel chapter 3. And when there was forced worship, compulsory worship, and what did they do? They didn't bow down. They stood up. Ah, yes, but pastor, this was when there was the death decree in play. So you're honestly telling me that if you take the death decree away and replace it with a bonus at work, this would be okay? I'm just asking. You're telling me if you take away the death decree and you replace it with the honor of men, it would be okay? Folks, when is it ever okay to give the impression that we are worshiping and bowing down in allegiance to anything other than the true God? When is that okay? When is it ever okay to follow the beast? Where does the Bible say you can serve the world all six days of the week as long as you still come to church on Sabbath? When does it say that's okay? And if it's our mindset... That we can somehow do both. I'm afraid we're preparing to receive the mark of the beast. And this is serious stuff. And that's why I titled this sermon, The Critical Phase 2 of the National Sunday Law. Because the second phase is where the rubber meets the road. And it's crucial that we don't compromise lest we receive the mark of the beast. And we are told that at this phase, many Seventh-day Adventists will go along. Pastor, you're really over-dramatizing this. I mean, God knows my heart. He's a gracious and loving and understanding God. He knows that I need my job. He knows I need to provide for my family. Great Controversy 608. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message. That's Seventh-day Adventists. A large class. But have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth. Abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. That's a sad quote. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Friends, this is disturbing. This is a warning for us, even now. If you're not being sanctified, if I am not being sanctified by obedience to the truth, if the sweet Spirit of Jesus and the fruits of the Spirit are not developed in your heart on a daily basis, and mine as well. If we're not doing these things, we're preparing ourselves to compromise with the world and to receive the mark of the beast. Have mercy. And I can't help but bring up the question, how are we even now, in 2021, choosing to unite with the world and take the easy, popular side in times of crisis? And if we're doing that, are we not preparing ourselves to receive the mark of the beast? I mean, honestly, I'm asking, am I overstating it? And so in phase one, 
Sunday is enforced as a day of rest. And we say, fine, we do missionary work. But when critical phase two comes, which is the first part of enforced worship, that is the time when we cannot compromise in any way. And I've heard friends of mine say, well, if they pass some kind of a, a law, I'll just go to church on Sunday and Saturday. Can I just pause right there? This is a pet peeve of mine. It's not Saturday, friends. <laughs> it's God's holy day. There's a difference. Now, I would expect people of the world, people that aren't Seventh-day Adventists, I would expect them to call it Saturday. They get a pass. I'm fine with that. And I don't mind if you say, you know, what are you doing Saturday night? The sun has set. It's no longer Sabbath. But when you say, what are you doing Saturday afternoon? It's not Saturn's day. It's God's holy day. I'll be done with that. Maybe I won't. In the Hebrew, it says Sunday is six days until Sabbath. Monday is five days until Sabbath. Four days until Sabbath. Three days until Sabbath. Everything is until Sabbath. Until, oh, Sabbath! And then we as Seventh-day Adventists say, what are you going to do Saturday afternoon? Sabbath afternoon. So where was I? Oh yeah, my friends that say, oh, I'll just do both. Friends, that's Mark of the Beast sinking. I think I've hit that enough. We're going to keep rolling because we've got too much more to still cover. Great Controversy 608. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth implore their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates, these backsliders, if you will, are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. Friends, I hope that everyone within the sound of my voice, I hope none of us fall into that category. But we're told it will happen. But we see it escalate further. Phase three, forbidden to worship on Sabbath. And so to unpack this a little further, we have a law that prohibits worship on Sabbath, can only worship on Sunday, and then we have fines and imprisonment begin to be imposed, and then you cannot buy or sell. Now Daniel eleven forty three shows a nice development of this. It says, He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And there the context is secularism, is what Egypt is. And this is talking about the king of the north, the papacy. He gains financial and monetary control over Egypt or the secular world. We see it in Revelation thirteen seven that no one may buy or excel except one who has the mark or the name of the beast. Same thing. So if you are used to compromising to take care of your family, you're going to receive the mark of the beast. I mean, what choice do I have? We've got to eat. We've got to still function. What, are we supposed to just go out on the street? I mean, God understands. I have to pay my bills. But if we're compromising today, taking a job on the Sabbath, cheating on tithe, well, we're just so tight right now. And, you know, eventually we'll, we'll, we'll get back to returning tithe. Friends, we're preparing ourselves to go along with this Sunday law, to compromise between the holy and the profane. We learned last time, this is called an abomination to put the two together. And what does it lead to? Desolation. And when our self-preservation 
starts to trump our faith in God's Word, we have a problem. Friends, God's Word should always trump self-preservation. And it's easy to sit here and say amen now. But when push comes to shove and you're getting kicked out of your house and your credit card doesn't work anymore, that means no gas, that means no groceries, and that little bit of cash you have stuffed under your bed is almost running out, or whatever the situation, it's easy to say amen now, but when that time of self-preservation comes, and when it doesn't seem to make any sense, or maybe I could say especially when it doesn't make any sense, to stand alone on the Word of God, this B-I-B-L-E, that's hard. But when we do that today, we're preparing to stand then. Some of you already this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm already in the time of trouble. My whole life is a country song. I'm losing everything. Life's already hard. I'm already overwhelmed. Could it be that by God's grace, he's allowing you to walk this road so that you grow in your faith in him? Could it be he's allowing you to experience these heartaches so that you learn to trust in him? Could it be that tribulation is actually the grace of God to save you from certain compromise? I sure think it could be. To learn that in every heartache, in every challenge, that God is faithful. Great Controversy 607, as the controversy extends into new fields... And the minds of the people are called to God's downtrodden law. Satan is astir. The power attained, the message will only madden those who oppose it. The clergy will put forth almost superhuman efforts to shut away the light lest it should shine upon their flocks. By every means at their command, they will endeavor to suppress the discussion of these vital questions. The church appeals to the strong arm of civil power, and in this work, papists and Protestants unite as the movement for Sunday enforcement becomes more bold and decided. The law will be invoked against commandment keepers. So here you have this movement, if you will. You have phases. It goes from less intense to more and more and more, like a crescendo in a song is building until it becomes more bold and decided. Continuing on here, it says they will be threatened with fines and imprisonment and some will be offered positions of influence and other rewards and advantagements as inducements to renounce their faith. Friends, things are going to heighten. And you say, well, you said in phase two is the mark of the beast. You can receive the mark of the beast any time after phase two. You might stand through phase two and say, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden there's these fines, there's imprisonment. Oh, this is starting to be a big deal. I don't know about this anymore. This isn't making a lot of sense. This is getting really hard. You know what, I think I'll take the easy path because then I'll get positions of influence. Then I'll get rewards. Then I'll get advantages. I'll get inducements to renounce my faith. Okay, so I'll just do all these things and I'll just say, yeah, sure, Sunday is my day. God knows my heart. Sunday's my day. Mark of the beast. There certainly is a crescendo. But notice the response of the faithful. But their steadfast answer is, show us from the word of God our error. The same plea that was made by Luther under similar circumstances. You don't have to yell it loud like I did. You can do it softly and quietly. Show me my error from the word of God and I'll be happy to oblige. 
Those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of the truth. Think about that. You and I, before the courts, make a strong vindication of the truth. Some say, well, we can't vindicate God. But this is saying that we can. By how we live our life, by allowing His Spirit to work through us, and by taking a stand for Him, we are vindicating the truth for God. And some who hear them are led to take their stand to keep all the commandments of God. Praise the Lord! Thus light will be brought before thousands who otherwise would know nothing of these truths. Friends, this is the loud cry. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God will make a strong vindication of the truth. And people will hear it and they'll accept it. And even at that late hour, some boy or some girl, some man, some woman, by the thousands are going to say, I see it, I see it. And they're going to take their stand and they're going to keep all ten. And they're going to say, I'm willing. I'm willing. Friends, I think that's exciting. And don't think for a second the devil's not going to come along and say, what's the point? Just go along. What's the point? Why be a martyr? Friends, there's some truth in that for certain issues. You can't die on every hill. You've got to pick one. But when it comes to God's word, I think that's a pretty good hill to die on. What's the point? This is the point. Well, I'm going to die either way. I might as well be comfortable. It's Mark of the Beast thinking. Stand alone on the word of God. Stand boldly for him. Know that he'll give you the words to speak. And through you, the truth will be vindicated and thousands will take their stand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Phase four, we got to wrap this up. It's almost supper time. (laughs) Good food. Phase number four, enforced by death decree. So phase one, Sunday's enforced day of rest, but we engage in missionary labor. Phase two, you can honor Sabbath, but you must honor Sunday. That's when people start receiving the mark of the beast as they go along and worship on Sunday. Phase three, it escalates further where we can't worship on Sabbath anymore, only on Sunday. Now we have fines and imprisonment that are imposed. You cannot buy or sell. They're really ratcheting it down. And then here in phase four, we finally reach the point that is enforced by the death decree. And so we unpack that a little bit more. We're not going to be able to hit on all of these. We'll unpack some more of these in greater detail as we continue on in this series. But we have the death decree spoken of in Revelation 13, 15 to 17, and in Daniel 11, 44 and 45. We have Satan personates Christ. We have probation closing, and we have the time of Jacob's trouble begins. And those last two we're going to have to unpack at another time. But I included them in that list anyway. Revelation 13, 15 to read it. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause it as many as would not worship the image, the likeness of, which is Sunday, the image of the beast should be killed. We see it also in Daniel chapter 11, verse 44. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate Many. And continuing on, verse 45, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Let's unpack that a little bit. He shall plant his tabernacle or church of his palace, which is the state. So here we have church and state. Between the seas, we have the Mediterranean Sea and we have the Red Sea. Both are symbolic of those that are piling on with the papacy. 
And who are they piling on to? The, those that are in the glorious holy mountain. This is in reference to Mount Zion or the Temple Mount, Jerusalem. Not literally, I believe, but God's remnant people. And so from all sides are being pounced on and attacked at this moment. But it finishes by saying, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. To rescue his people. Great Controversy 604 says, fearful is the issue to to which the world is to be brought. The powers of earth uniting to war against the commandments of God will decree that all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, shall conform to the customs of the church by the observance of the false Sabbath. All who refuse compliance will be visited with civil penalties and it will finally be declared. Again, another hint word that there's, there's phases of this thing. But finally it will be declared that they are deserving of death. And on the other hand, the law of God, enjoying the Creator's rest day, demands obedience and threatens wrath against all who transgress its precepts. With the issue thus clearly brought before him, whoever shall trample upon God's law to obey a human enactment receives the mark of the beast. He accepts a sign of allegiance to the power which he chooses to obey instead of God. And some of you might be saying, see, that's when you receive the mark of the beast. It's after the death decree. But the fact is, in stage two, this statement is still true, is it not? Whoever shall trample upon God's law to obey human enactments receives the mark of the beast. And so the reality is people will be receiving this mark of the beast at every single stage. At any point along the way. This is in Revelation 14, 9, and 10. Three angels' message. In fact, this is the third angel's message. It says, if any man worship the beast and his image... And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. This will be part of this loud cry message that we're to give. That every Seventh-day Adventist at this time will be giving during the Sunday law crisis. We're going to be telling the world, don't fall for this false religious law. It'll cause you to receive the mark of the beast. And if you receive the mark of the beast, you'll take part in the seven last plagues. You don't want to do that. And so the call will be, stand on God's side. Even when it seems like the whole world is against you, with God on your side, you will be brought through the crisis. Now Satan does impersonate Christ at the last phase of this drama. And we're going to see it's referred to as this overwhelming deception. Let's look at that. As the crowning act. You could say as a cherry on top. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. And how's he going to do it? The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. True? Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John the Revelator. In Revelation chapter 1, the 13 to 15, he fits the description. This is biblical. 
So he goes around looking like Jesus, and then the quote goes on, the glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. I saw it with my own eyes, Pastor. This was the real deal. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. And the people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. And his voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious, heavenly truths which our Savior uttered. Yeah, that checks out. That checks out. That sounds good. That's what Jesus said. This is it. He heals the diseases of the people. There's no explanation. I can't figure it out. This is what they had, and they don't have it anymore. And then in his assumed character of Christ, leading along, leading along, little bit by little bit, until he's gained all their confidence, he claims to have changed, going back to the quote, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed, have mercy. In light of everything God's people have gone through up until this point, to stand for truth, now we have a false Christ. He looks the part, he says the right things, he's healing people, and now he said with his own lips, I have changed the Sabbath to Sunday. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. You seventh-day Adventists, blasphemer, blasphemer, blasphemer. All of you are blasphemers. It's Sunday. And it says this is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. And we can see why. She continues a little further, like the Samaritans who were deceived by Simon Magus, the multitudes, from the least to the greatest, give heed to these sorceries, saying, this is the great power of God. You better believe anybody on the fence at that moment will be swept away with this great last deception by Satan. And that'll be sad. I can't help but think, I remember my dad, when I was becoming a teenager, he took me out to eat on this one occasion, and we had the talk, and so part of that was dating and girls and, you know, all that fun stuff, and he said, and Dave, there are certain things that are reserved for a marriage relationship, that's what he said. And he said, you really need to decide for yourself what choice you're going to make in regards to that issue. He was a little bit more, you know, used words. There was no questioning what he was talking about, but I'm trying to be careful here in our audience. But he says, but you need to decide what you're going to do before you get in that situation. Because if you wait for that moment to come, everything within you is going to want to just, you know. And so you have to back away and decide beforehand this isn't what I want to do forgive me if that's kind of a crude illustration but I think that same principle holds true if we think 
We're going to wait until that moment, and we're going to decide at that moment based on how I feel and what I see and what society says. Let's take a poll and CNN and and Fox and NBC. They're all saying different stuff. Uh, I think I'll just... uh. No, you have to decide now. This is the day or you'll be swept away. And like the ten virgins, they were all asleep. And then that midnight cry came. Quick, get more oil for my lamp. It's too late. It's too late. Why? Because God won't receive me? No. He'll be happy to receive you. But somehow the time is such and the the, the deception is such that if you aren't grounded, even when you're grounded, it's going to be this almost overwhelming delusion. But if you're grounded by the grace of God, he'll bring you right through. But if you're not connected to God, you can forget it. It's like the rope on the ship in the middle of the storm. If you're not tied in when that wave hits, it's no problem, Pastor. I'll tie myself in as the wave hits. You're gone. You're gone. We need some good news. Here's some good news. But the people of God will not be misled. Why? The teachings of this false Christ are not in accordance with the scriptures. They're not. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why at the last minute is he just going to change one of his Ten Commandments? Why? Was he wrong? Had he deceived everybody all the way up until the end? And now he's like, oh, you know what, Sunday, oops. It doesn't make sense. Up to the lips of Jesus himself in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So if he didn't come to destroy the law and do away with it, then why would he come at the end of time to do exactly that? For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all heaven is fulfilled. If you've taken Hebrew, you know what that means because there's every jot and tittle and everything and it changes what words mean all the rest. And it gets so, oh, there's so many of these little things. What does this even say? He says not one of those little periods is going to disappear. They're all going to be there until the end. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I promise you, the devil is not going to recite this verse when he comes. But the multitudes will be saying, this is the great power of God. And this will be a time of persecution for God's people. But let me give you some more good news. Great Controversy 635, 636, with shouts of triumph, jeering and imprecation throngs of evil men are about to rush upon their prey when lo a dense blackness deeper than the darkness of the night falls upon the earth then a rainbow shining with the glory from the throne of god spans the heavens and seems to encircle each praying company this isn't making sense i don't know how we're going to survive it's over for us and god says no i got this i got you because you're on your knees and you're praying you're trusting in me i am the source of your strength he's not going to abandon his people says the seasons of distress and anguish before us will require faith that can endure weariness delay and hunger a faith that will not faint though severely tried the period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time that's this is our wake-up call this is the probationary period 
to prepare for that time. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of opportunate prayer, which simply means persistent, all the time prayer. And friends, if this COVID-19 pandemic has not brought you closer to the Lord, I'm concerned for you because I believe this is our wake-up call. Not to pray less, but more. Not to study our Bibles less, but more. All who lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and preserving as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Not a few, it says all who lay hold of the promises of God. The promises are what tie you into the boat. So friends, if you're fearful of what's coming, look to Jesus. Look to the promises of his word. This is our time of preparation. And I don't know when things are going to be canceled. And, oh, he's overstating. He's so dramatic. I don't know. It could be years and years and years. But it could be very soon. So why not prepare? I love Psalm 91. For anybody that's worried, just open up to Psalm 91. Memorize Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely, He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. Eternal life, I'll satisfy him. And show him my salvation. Don't tell me those verses will not lift your spirits in any time, in any period, in any place, in any dungeon, wherever you may be. God is there and he's with you and he's promised never to leave you or forsake you and he will carry you through. And so I don't know about you, but by God's grace, I need to get serious. Not serious about what I can do in my own strength and recognizing what I can't do. I virtually can't do anything, but I can lean upon the one that can do everything. And he will promise to bring us through. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be with this group that has listened to me drone on for an hour and a half. But Lord, I feel like the time in which we live is bigger than lunchtime. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to rightly divide your word. Help us to rightly divide the things we see happening around us. And there's so many ways the devil wants to get us distracted and off course. But, Lord, there is something we must pay attention to. And so, Lord, may we be aware of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, what it says in your word, what it says in the spirit of prophecy that you have given to us to bring us through safely through this time. May we not ignore it. May we not cast it away. May we study it. May we memorize it. May we place it in our hearts and our minds so that when you come, we can say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And we'll have all the rest of eternity to praise you for bringing us through and to be so thankful we chose you above everything else around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.